0: The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, Episode 25, Small World. My friend, Jack wrote to Lucas. Tell me, what did I help you steal? Well, Lucas replied, you remember early on when our mutual friend sent my death to hell and you told a story to retrieve the needle that embodied it, or rather that stitched it into the story world at a certain point in time? Yes. Painted eggs are a folk tradition, most commonly known in the West through Ukraine, maybe, but we have them too but painting symbols of power on something is much older than Christianity. I would have figured as much, Jack said. From her story of Princess Marina, you saw that the sorceress was able to pry up Debrinu's footprints, literally the first impression that he made in her presence, and paint symbols on them and burn them so that the hero would burn with longing. The painted eggs in her basket aren't just some harmless Easter decoration. In her case, each one is like the way you see boxes, Jack, as containers for worlds. Each one contains the world of some soul she wants to influence or keep tabs on. She often brings or uses objects that she thinks will add to her power. I'm not sure what she was planning to do with them in her story. Maybe she just wanted them as some kind of talisman, or maybe she was going to release a few dark souls or create a world to house her black swan until she could weave a more substantial spell. Isabel shuddered as she imagined Baba Yaga cracking soul eggs into a glass of vodka and downing it as some kind of infernal hangover cure. She shared the image with the others. Wouldn't put that past her either, though if she were actually consuming souls, it would probably be for something more serious than a hangover, Lucas said. Might depend on the hangover, Jack suggested, winking. A shiver went up his spine, and he turned suddenly to look at his left shoulder. Not expecting to see his guardian angel, but for a fleeting second, he had felt a familiar but long-missed weight the hand of his uncle Diar, "'patting his shoulder in response to some joke or tale they shared. "'Trying to get back on topic, he said, "'So the swan of endless tales was hatched out of a crystal egg herself. "'She's connected to me as I called her into service in our story world.' "'What he didn't say was that he could pretty much track her like radar in his own soul. "'Through his dreams, he heard her sing. "'Whose soul is in the egg she took?' We should probably have the swan cash her, um, payload somewhere safe, if it's valuable. We might use it to bargain with Mara later or something. It's, um, Koshchei the Deathless. His death is in the needle in the egg. He manifests himself in various ways. Sometimes he is seductively handsome. Often he's a bone dragon. Anything to do with bones, and I'm your girl, Isabel said, feeling the excitement of a new area of research unfolding before her. I'd just rather you didn't end up his girl, Lucas said. When I say he can be powerfully seductive, I mean exactly that. Come on, gentlemen, Isabel teased. I'm hardly flighty. I haven't fallen for either of you yet, have I? Lucas's heart broke. Jack took the opportunity to gently bring up the topic of Isabel's brother. Surprisingly, she agreed to their assistance readily. If he comes after me, I'll take any help on offer. And guys, you know about my family history now and about my brother. With ingrained malevolence like that, I can't bring myself to be afraid of an egg. Besides, I have Rosamond. She smiled over at the scarlet tarantula in her cage, who had been contentedly tatting lacy flower patterns, but who, at the mention of her superior powers of defense, struck a pose like a sumo wrestler, a smile lighting her many eyes. "'Rosamond? Who's that?' Lucas asked, turning up his cuff to examine the strand of sunrise circling his wrist. It had been a long time since anyone made him a gift. He wore it in private constantly. He also kept the little box with its monogram silk wrapping and the letter, written by A. Rosamond. Could Isabel's friend be the Rosamond, his benefactor? Isabel introduced the queen of the biology lab and Lucas thanked her for her gift, describing with suitable nervous deference, given her species and lineage, how he'd found it. Rosamond glowed with all the brightness she had woven. "'This was a nice boy. The Queen approved.' "'They chatted some more, and it was agreed that Jack would have the swan deposit the egg with Isabel for safekeeping. "'Before you go, Lucas, can you transfer box number one to me, please, "'so I can start working on a containment plan for Owen?' "'Gladly,' Lucas said.' "'but I thought you were already experimenting with building a world "'inside the empty box you found in your uncle's caravan. "'I am,' Jack affirmed, "'but I can work on both at once, "'because you see, my friends, "'multitasking is a myth, but I'm special.' "'On the evening Jack was to tell, "'the audience found itself seated in what looked to be a poor weaver's cottage,' surrounded by gently shuttling looms that began weaving the story in sections like typewriters all working on different parts of the script. No sign of Jack, but a cloth mysteriously unfurled itself in their midst, which was described as set for a sumptuous picnic. A shadow dissipated and Jack greeted them, his words described as recording themselves in perfect sync on the weaving looms. Tonight's tale deals with a weaver, his son, some bad bargains, and a giant. I'm not sure what it is about Scots and Irish tales, but we face down our share of giants. You'd think that by this time they'd refuse to participate or make themselves scarce, but not so. The Celtic lands were formed by monsters, built by giants, and shaped by the Fae so I guess it's in the bones of us to maintain a sense of the mighty and awesome. And the mention of bones is fitting, for this is the tale of the weaver's son and the giant of the white hill, the hill being made of the bones of the giant's many mortal dinner guests over the years, which was surmounted by the giant's formidable keep. But before we go there, we must start in a little cottage on the edge of a wood, where a poor weaver lived with his wife and three daughters. The weaver always felt he should have had more in life. He worked constantly making fine cloth, yet the tailors who cut and sewed it gained favor and commissions, while he had to sell his stuff at prices he couldn't set, and no fine lord in a position to show largesse ever knew of the hard work that went into the fabric of his wardrobe. It happened that the weaver had to go out to fetch some firewood, and he took his eldest daughter to help him. When they had gathered and tied two bundles and were preparing to go home, a handsome, well-dressed stranger on a fine horse stopped them, asking for the weaver's daughter. "'You shall not have her,' the weaver said indignantly, shouldering his bundle of firewood. "'I'll give you her weight in gold.' the stranger said, and suddenly the riches were before her father on a sledge. So the weaver left with no daughter, half the firewood, and all the gold. He put the sacks in the cellar and told his wife that he sent the girl on with an errand to a neighbor. Night fell, and the wife wept bitterly, but the weaver said not a word. Sometime later he had another errand and took his middle daughter. This time They were met by an even more elegant stranger who offered the girl's weight in silver. The avaricious father accepted more readily and made up another story about his child's disappearance to tell his wife. Finally, a trip to market with the third daughter enriched the father by her weight in copper. Though he was now completely bereft of girl children, and his wife was so beside herself with grief that she went into labor prematurely, giving birth to a son, a small but sturdy lad for all his early arrival. The weaver thought that he had saved three dowries and been paid well for his hard decisions. Over time, he squandered his riches on drink, cards, and fine things for himself while his wife and son suffered for his habits and neglect. The son grew into a handsome, intelligent, and capable boy, his mother's solace and delight. Neither parent gave him to believe that he had ever been anything but their only child. One day he came home from school in tears, saying, I have learned some truth about our family. Mother, bake me three loaves of bread and give me your blessing. "'for I am going on a journey. "'I vow that I will not stay two nights under the same roof, "'nor sit two meals at the same table, "'until I have discovered the fate of my three sisters.' "'His mother begged him not to go, "'but he would not be dissuaded. "'She baked the bread, and with all her blessings, "'prayers and tears, sent him on his way. "'He walked until he was tired and hungry,' and sat down under a tree to eat. A man with bright red hair came to him and asked for something to eat. The man looked shabby and he was on foot, but his manners were refined, even though he was begging of a lad much younger than himself. Impulsively, the lad invited him to join him, and they shared out all the loaves between them, talking and telling stories. When the stranger asked the boy's errand, he told him of his quest to find his sisters. Well, said the man, it might do you no good, but you've shown me all the hospitality you can, so I will give you three things to aid you on your journey. This sword will always strike true as long as you wield it. This cloth will give you whatever food and drink you desire. Just unfold it when you have need. And this cloak of darkness will shield you from all eyes until you want to be revealed and let you travel as if borne by the wind. One gift for each of the loaves you shared. Farewell. The boy held the objects wonderingly for some moments, but when he looked up to thank the stranger, he was gone. The boy traveled on until it began to rain heavily. While he did not want to use his magical gifts without good cause, declining to use the cloak to shield himself from the rain, or travel unnecessarily fast through otherwise safe country, he hurried for shelter under a spreading oak and slipped on the sodden ground. He fell through a hole at the base of the tree, landing in a subterranean realm. He put the cloak on then and sped through the unfamiliar land unseen, until he came to a castle surrounded by nine gated walls. The inside of the cloak of darkness informed him that his eldest sister was in this castle. He struck at each gate with his sword, and it opened, but at the last he knocked until a servant came out. My sister is in this castle, and I wish to know of her welfare, the lad said. Through the grate, the servant could see a striking resemblance to her mistress, so she allowed the lad to enter. When she saw the boy, the lady of the castle knew him for her brother. Don't mind anything you see here, the young woman warned him. My husband may seem a little strange until he gets to know you. As they embraced joyfully, there was a thunderous sound of hoofbeats and a great ram with curling horns charged into the castle and pounded up the stairs, disappearing into one of the chambers. A few minutes later, a handsome, well-dressed man came down the stairs, fixing his shirt cuffs casually, as if he had just changed clothes. "'Who's this?' he asked. "'My brother, come to visit me.' Excellent host, his brother in law invited the lad to dine and stay the night. The three talked happily into the wee hours. In the morning the ram appeared again, but as he left the castle he asked the boy, Will you not stay with us a few days, so long away from your sister as you were? I have promised not to stay two nights under the same roof, nor take two meals at the same table, until I have discovered the fate of all my sisters, the boy said. The ram pulled a tuft of wool from his hide. Should you ever need help of all the rams for some task, use this to summon them. The lad kissed his sister goodbye and said he was going in search of his other siblings. He put on the cloak of darkness and resumed his journey with stealth and speed. By and by, he became hungry and thirsty so he sat down to rest, opened the cloth plenty, and refreshed himself. He carried on until he came to another castle, similarly walled and gated. He was sure his second sister lived there. He got through all but the innermost gate, and was admitted by a servant as before. He greeted his second sister, and she likewise warned him not to be alarmed by what he might see. Suddenly the hall was filled with torrents of water sluicing through the windows like a flooding river and coursing up the stairs. The lad and his sister had to seek the higher ground of a raised alcove off the hall. A mighty salmon swam into the hall and leaped up the stairs, sailing over the mezzanine into an upstairs chamber. Soon, A handsome man came down the stairs, toweling his hair. Not a drop of water remained anywhere, and none of the furniture or tapestries showed any damage. "'Who's this?' the man asked. When the second sister introduced her brother, her husband couldn't have been happier. None of his wife's family had come to visit since her marriage. They had supper and talked until late. The lad accepted their offer of a bed for the night, gratefully." In the morning, the water coursed down the stairs and the lad watched his brother-in-law leave. He declined his offer to stay longer, saying that he still had to find his youngest sister. The salmon tore away a piece of his fin, gave it to his wife's brother and said, If you ever need the help of the salmon, use this to summon them. The lad accepted the gift, putting it with the hank of wool. He bade his sister goodbye and carried on, Cloaked in darkness once again. He took another solitary meal on his journey from the cloth of plenty and pressed on until he found a third castle. The inscription in his cloak confirmed that his youngest sister could be found within. This time he discovered that his youngest sister had married an eagle. When he'd taken human form, he needed no introductions. Her husband's piercing gaze took in the lad and he knew him for kin at once. With all honour, the boy was fed and lodged, and the conversation flowed merrily all evening. In the morning, the eagle gave the lad a feather, saying he could use it to summon the eagles. "'Let not thy quest be done,' his younger sister pleaded. "'A giant lives in the castle on the white hill, and there he keeps prisoner the loveliest girl in the world.' The hill below his keep is made of the bones of countless men who've tried and failed to rescue her, but you, brother, have your cloak and a true sword. The boy agreed to try and rescue the girl. He found her pacing sadly in her garden, even as the giant was dispatching the latest (gasps) crop of heroes in the courtyard. The giant called to the girl, who was indeed beautiful, to have the meat prepared for supper. "'motioning off-handedly to the corpses. "'Is there no way to kill him?' the boy asked the weeping girl, "'who seemed to him to be graceful and kind, "'despite her terrible circumstances. "'I will try to find out,' she said, "'but do not try to confront him until I've discovered his secret. "'All who do surely die.' "'The lad hid in the woods beyond the giant's palace, "'living off the cloth of plenty,' and remaining in his cloak of darkness until he could bear it no longer. Keeping the cloak about him, he ran up to the giant and stabbed him, running round and round to a different part of his body, and delivering many fairly minor but mysterious wounds. Each time this happened, the giant's captive tended his wounds, crying piteously, "'Oh, what shall become of me if you die?' Finally, the brute said, "'Die? Me? I can't die! In the sea lies a chest. In the chest is a duck. In the duck is an egg. I cannot die unless the egg is retrieved and rubbed on the mark just under my heart, and none can get close enough for that!' He (laughs) laughed himself to tears at the very thought. "'The girl reported her discovery.' lamenting that the giant's death was surely impossible. The lad went to the shore, took out the piece of fin, and summoned the salmon, who retrieved the chest for him. The chest was made of thick oak and locked. The lad took out the wool and summoned the help of the rams. Soon a flock, all with magnificent curled horns, came charging over the headland. The boy stepped aside as they battered the chest into sawdust. As soon as the chest broke open, the duck flew out. But the boy had already summoned the eagles, who brought down the duck and retrieved the egg. Cloaked in darkness and bearing both his sword and the egg, the boy once again challenged the giant. This time he made sure his blows shredded the giant's jerkins so that much of his huge torso was exposed. He saw the mole under the giant's heart. "'and touched it with the egg. "'The giant fell down dead. "'The lad took as much of his treasure as he could carry, "'and together he and the maiden "'left the horrible castle on the hill of bones. "'The lad claimed the once-captive girl "'as his beautiful bride, "'and they visited each of his sisters in turn, "'where the boy returned the feather, fin, and wool "'to his brother's-in-law. "'They reached the opening that led above ground, and sat down to a meal under the oak tree, thanks to the cloth of plenty. When they had nearly finished, they were met by the red-haired man who blessed the newlyweds. The weaver's son began to return the wondrous gifts. Keep them all, lad. Use the sword to defend your home, the cloth of plenty to feed your family and neighbours in time of need, and the cloth of darkness to get home and comfort your mother with your news and begin your lives together without delay. I knew your quest would not end as you needed it to, for your mother's sake, unless I helped you. I am brother to the ram, the salmon, and the eagle. Can you transform? the boy queried. Not myself, but I can transform things and people's perceptions of them. I will go home with you and offer your greedy father more gold, silver, and copper. In honor of the daughters he sold away so long ago— Good husbands, though my brothers surely are. Why would you do that? For what he did to my mother and our family, he deserves nothing. Nay, lad, he deserves fairy gold that never stays, silver starlight that winks away with sunrise, and the incessant whispers of the good people through the coppery leaves, the red-haired man said. The lad took his bride home and told his mother the happy fate of his sisters, promising that after he had built a fine home for the three of them, he would take her to visit each one in their fine palaces. He built a beautiful manor with the giant's treasure. His father, the weaver, met with a red-haired stranger who came to the cottage gate. The weaver followed him in companionable chat into the woods and went quite mad. He wandered through the countryside ever after, weaving tales of unimaginable but elusive riches all the rest of his days. Jack ended his tale and the loom stilled. The entire story was described on their frames. The decameron shuffled. Six of hearts. Brightly woven, Lucas and Isabel cheered. An excellent tale, Jack. But between the brightest threads, darkness lies, otherwise the pattern cannot be seen, Mara said. You have given us soul eggs, underground kingdoms, and copper, silver, and gold. Your homeland and mine are not so far apart after all. It really is a very small world. The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.